Legion of Dogs, your free resource for multi-dog living. <laughs> so yesterday, Chris, I took your recommendation and uh, I took Fable Herding. Oh, and yay. took Gibson Herding. And this was all because you had this great idea. So I think you should share with everyone what your idea was, what motivated this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, did herding, did a herding instinct test, oh, six, seven years ago with Enzo. And Enzo has a lot of training, or even then had a lot of training on not chasing wildlife. So he thought herding was some horrible, mean proofing exercise, and he wouldn't do it. The herding, he was sitting pretty, he was spinning, he was barking at me. The herding instructor and I would chase the sheep, and Enzo would eventually circle around, flank around in front of them and make them stop. So he did pass his herding instinct test, but the instructor said, you know, <laughs> if you want to herding, do herding with this dog, um, it's going to be hard to override his other training. And so I never bothered uh, with my younger border collie. And because it wasn't all that fun, to be honest, chasing sheep and hoping your dog would chase or stop them. <laughs> it's like you switch roles. You're the dog and he was the handler. <laughs> it's like we're chasing the sheep at him and he would make them stop. <laughs> I think that's the opposite of what we wanted. Um, I, I also think the instructor was very kind of to me and to pass me for his herding instinct test. <laughs> um, and he does have herding instinct. He just never projects it onto animals because my last two dogs before him were deer chasers. So from the day he came, we worked on, we do not chase wildlife. Mm -hmm. So fair, fair to the dog. So anyway, so my friends started herding and um, posting cool videos. And then I got more friends who are herding and I kind of felt left out. So <laughs> you had FOMO? <laughs> I have FOMO because <laughs> I like to do all the things. I don't need to be the best at anything, but I need to be good at all the things. I like all the things. And um, Border Collies are a good breed for me. And, um, so I took Jubilee. She's four. I took her just before she turned four. She's three and a bit, three and a half, and herding. And it was really, really cool because Jubilee is reactive. She has a lot of insecurities in her body and in controlling space. And when she was herding, and all instructors are different, but this instructor basically said, Jubilee is never wrong. She can never be wrong. All we wanted to do was build confidence and teach Jubilee that she could control the movement of the sheep mm -hmm. and that she had the power. It was all about making her powerful. And it was so cool to see. The first time we went there, Jubilee wouldn't have any part of it. She was just hanging out at the gate and making sure the sheep wouldn't go through the gate. So we worked in a bigger space, we were with more sheep, and we built up her confidence to the point where now she's, in my opinion, kind of being hard on the sheep, but the instructor says she's still learning and the sheep are teaching her and it's all okay. And it's really cool to see how her confidence progressed. And then at home, because I didn't do herding before, now when I see her interactions towards other dogs, I can tell, I know what she's doing because she's herding. She's trying to protect space or she's hurting. So her, a lot of her reactivity, she's using the same behaviors that she's using on the sheep. 
and then with my own horses and such too, I'm seeing it as well. And I'm more able to help her make good choices because she's got more confidence, but also I understand her better. So it's really been a really great, great activity for Jubilee and I, I can't say enough about it. I think if you have a herding dog, going and trying herding is a great thing. And it just makes me happy to watch them. <laughs> it is super entertaining to watch. And I noticed, because I, I teach instinct sports, like I teach tracking and you do a lot of scent. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of a similar philosophy. It's like, let the dog be the expert and we just encourage what's naturally happening. Mm -hmm. And they get so much out of it. Like you bring them home and they're legitimately tired, but in a good way, like a satisfied way. It's different than just hiking them. It's different than just like going and playing fetch or anything like that. It is like this fully satisfied dog. Yeah, it's so cool to see Jubilee just sleeps and she smiles and all the dogs do and even dogs that I wouldn't consider herding breeds there's poodles there there's all these other breeds there and they're all just happy mm -hmm. at the end of their turn and just chill it's very cool yeah so what Chris and I wanted to talk about today was how to let our dogs be dogs so that your multi-dog household can feel better because these activities make a huge impact on your dog's day-to-day -day life, even if you just do them once in a while. Mm -hmm. I won't likely ever get into serious herding, but I'd like to keep taking Jubilee once a month, maybe even once every couple of months take her. And my when I get another puppy, which will most likely be a Border Collie, of course, that <laughs> puppy will start young too. Um, I just think it's so good for them. Another thing that I did yesterday with a client is really really cool. It doesn't have to be all herding, obviously. If you have a different dog, it's different things, but we want to tap into what intrinsically, genetically, what just makes that dog feel good. Mm -hmm. And yesterday I was working with a dog with a very high prey drive. She wants to get those deer and squirrels. And I'm, I think, I think she would probably consume them if she caught them. <laughs> she has a very high prey drive, which isn't wrong. It's just the kind of dog she has, but it makes recall hard. It makes walking her in the park hard. So we were talking about ways to meet those needs and let her be a dog. And I um, picked up a pine cone. There's those big fluffy pine cones, if you know what I mean. They're not yeah, fluffy, but they're one. like they've all shed their seeds or whatever. And I took cheese and treats and stuffed it into the pine cone and gave her that. So that can be how the the predatory sequence from eyeing the prey, stalking the prey, chasing the prey, biting the prey, killing the prey, dissecting the prey, consuming it, she could then complete the end of the predatory sequence without endangering squirrels or pulling her mom's arm off. So we gave her the pine cone and she's just shredding it like she would with a, a prey animal that she caught. So we're gonna put more activities like that in place for her to help me meet that need that prey driven for the prey driven dog. Yeah, I find with dog training, a lot of the times everything's about control. And we're starting to see changes in our industry with that. And if we can find activities for our dogs where they get to make choices and explore and kind of meet their own needs, you're just gonna have a happier dog. Because if you're living in a household, as a human or a dog or any kind of animal where everything you do is just so controlled and directed all the time. 
you don't gain confidence. You don't learn problem solving skills. You're not as satisfied of a being. Mm -hmm. The one of the greatest things you can do for anybody that's struggling with anxiety is give them some sort of control. And we don't have to give the dogs control over every aspect of their life. That's not likely safe. But giving them areas definitely <laughs> <Usually> not safe <laughs> <laughs> where they do have control, where they can make choices. And this is part of my reactivity training, too, is people, when you have a reactive dog or a dog that's overexcited about other dogs, a lot of people are always keeping the dog focused on them and working. And then the dog doesn't get to make choices about how to interact with those other dogs. Mm hmm. So part, a big part of what I teach dogs that already have a lot of obedience or a lot of skills is how to just let your dog be a dog. And then if you see your dog escalating or about to make a poor choice, then we step in and say, hey, let's do something else instead. And we redirect them to something more appropriate. But just relaxing, breathing, and letting your dog be a good dog. That's a huge part of helping them get past that, that hump where a lot of people get stuck with reactivity training. Yeah. And getting them out of like this cycle where like all your walks are, we're training, you're focused on me, you have mm -hmm. to do X, Y, Z and into doing things that are, you know, a lot more dog like than human like. Yeah. Right? Sniffing things, peeing on things. Rolling in mud. I know yeah. no one likes that, but honestly, my dogs get a huge kick out of lying in mud puddles. And if I never let them do it, they would be highly dissatisfied. I... One of my favorite things when I'm hiking is when Riker, my white fluffy dog, <laughs> lies down in a mud puddle and tries to swim. Even though it's only two or three inches deep, he literally paddles his front feet like he's trying to swim. He's so cute. And then he's disgusting. But <laughs> <laughs> he gets joy out of that. And so I get joy out of watching him. Um, I remember one lady that was looking to adopt a golden retriever that I was working with. He was in a foster sick situation and she it was a golden retriever purebred and she didn't want to let him swim or play fetch so for me that's not the dog for her because in my mind those dogs want to be wet they're bred to be in the water they're bred to retrieve things and i think when we get a dog we should look at what makes that dog intrinsically happy genetics or you know if it's a mixed breed look at the dog or just look at the dog in front of you and say, what's going to make this dog happy? Is it a good fit for me? Yeah. And that's, as dog trainers, something we see constantly is people have just selected the wrong dog yeah, I mean, for their life. And it's a big deal. You and see that a lot with Aussies, with how popular well, they are, I bet. Tons <laughs> of the time. I mean, if we we're going to look at Australian Shepherds specifically, they are not bred for urban environments. They can do well in them with the right home, but they're super protective and they're supposed to be like, uh, they are known for that. That's why ranchers like them. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have reactivity or you have a dog that doesn't want people coming into your house, that's why like it's there. And not all of them have the same level of instinct. There's variance, but you can't be surprised by it when you go out and select these dogs. And like when I was choosing to live with lots of dogs, one of the things that was really important to me was that my dogs be able to get along. So when I was looking at breeds of dogs, I actually crossed some off our list um, just because they're not known for having good dog skills. Mm -hmm. And they're breeds my husband really loves. 
like really loves them. They're his top favorite dogs, but our priority is a peaceful household. And it's not to say you can't do it with these other breeds. I've seen people do it really well, but I wanted the easiest route to success because I've lived in a home where my dogs don't always get along and it's not for me. Yep. And often we get dogs because we had one of that type before. That's mm -hmm. me. <laughs> Even if it's not the right breed or right dog for your home. And then it creates conflict within the home potentially if if it's not a great fit it's like any relationship um, and this um comes up on social media a lot too if you ended up with the wrong dog and it's not a good fit i am all for rehoming mm -hmm. they're chronic rehomers if you're constantly getting the do a dog and rehoming then you want to really look at how you're selecting dogs um but if you just got a dog and you had all the great intentions and it's not a good fit that's okay the dog and you would both likely be happier with better fits. Yeah, for sure. We we see this all the time. And sometimes too, you just have a dog personality wise that just doesn't want to live around other dogs or in a certain lifestyle that you have. And it's not fair to that dog to just keep them in it. Mm -hmm. They would do better somewhere else. But finding the new home can be really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, I see that a lot when people live rural and they move into the city. That dog might not be a city dog. It might be very hard for that dog. And if you have an option where it can live with somebody who loves it and treats it well, that's not in that environment, that's wonderful. Or the other one is sometimes as much as you might try to prep the dog and as much work as you might do, you might have a dog that doesn't want to live with small children. And if you have a baby, um, that, that can be a valid reason for rehoming a dog in my opinion i don't yeah. think we should slay people on social media when they make those choices because they're hard choices they are they are for sure and the majority of people who are looking to rehome are trying to do what's best for the dog because they're not mm -hmm. just dropping the dog off somewhere they haven't yeah. just posted the dog on kijiji they're wanting help and whichever way they're trying to do it maybe they need more help in getting their dog the right fit but they're they're literally actually trying to do what's best for their mm -hmm. dog this is not the direction I thought this podcast was going. <laughs> no, that happens sometimes. We're talking about what's best for dogs' needs, right? So yeah. if someone's not able to meet the needs of their dog, then it's it should lead to rehoming, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or you can hire people to help you. Like, say you are um, unable to walk your dog to the requirement that your dog really needs. You can hire a dog walker to help you with that. Like just because mm -hmm. you as one human can't do it all doesn't mean you can't get help. But we do have to look at making sure the dog's needs are being met. Because when we have a household where there's issues or stress, something's off. And it could be medical, but it, it's often too meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. And those are both hard things. If you can't meet their physical or mental needs or you can't help them medically then it, you have a dog that's going to have behavior problems yeah there's um i had a great conversation with a potential client i actually forwarded her on to another trainer in our area um lovely older woman has a bad hip or a bad knee i can't remember she didn't have that issue when she got her dog yeah but she fell and hurt herself and then she had this puppy and where we live there's a great program called elder dog 
and somebody literally comes to her house once a day and takes her dog for an hour-long walk. It's oh, wonderful. Cool. Yeah. And it's a, it's a volunteer-run organization, and I believe it's all across Canada. I don't know if the states have a similar program, but it's a fantastic program. And then she can take her dog, who's had its exercise needs met, on her stroll around the block at a slower pace, and her dog isn't wild because it gets its exercise, and she can go out and do the walks that she's able to do. It's lovely. That is a great solution for that mm -hmm. home. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like it's not a one size fits all solution for any scenario. And that's where you kind of have to come in and think outside the box. And I mean, even with my own dogs, I'm constantly trying new things. I'm trying new sports and activities for them. And I think sometimes too, because I am a very competitive personality type, <laughs> Christina. <laughs> sometimes when we try these new sports, we get these grandiose ideas. <laughs> but it's okay to have activities you do with your dog that are literally hobbies. And frankly, when you have really young dogs, so Fable's under two, she doesn't need to do everything at an elite level at her age. Like, that's not good for her. It's too much pressure on the freaking dog. And let's just, you know, let her have some fun here and there. And that's why. Like, I have the sport that I really want her to do awesome in that we focus on foundations, probably the most most thoroughly and then we have other activities we do where you know if she never gets really good at them or if I train things the wrong way it's okay mm -hmm. I love that and some dogs Fable will end up being a fantastic competition dog um, but some dogs never are going to be great competition dogs it doesn't mean we can't still train those sports at home I have yeah. two dogs that I won't compete with in nose work or tracking but they still get to play at home. Yeah. And that mental stimulation, especially for my old dog, she loves to be able to use her nose. Like she does two little searches while I'm training the other younger dogs, uh, two very small searches for nose work and she's done. Like she is satisfied, she's happy. Um, we can still meet their needs in ways that don't necessarily have to have competition goals, even if it's a competition sport. Yeah. So even, no matter what kind of dog you have, having side hobbies for them that they can enjoy, particularly if you can also do these things at home for free, Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it goes a long way because when our dogs start to age too, having like scent games or tracking or even like I do rally with my dogs and we do a lot when they're younger and then I do a lot when they're older and in the middle I, I don't do as much because we have other goals at that time, but being able to flip between these things is super nice. Mm -hmm. and those are easy things to play at home. I think what we're getting at is mental enrichment. If you don't do anything with your dog, especially as they get older, or even when they're younger, we need to be challenging their little brains in ways that make them feel good and build confidence mm -hmm. um, and give them stimulation. If we overface them, we'll build anxiety and, um, and they'll get worried about training. But if we give them little fun, training tasks will build confidence and will stimulate them and will get them to be optimistic learners which is what we all want in our dogs just uh, being optimist and happy about training and learning yeah and sometimes you have to pivot so with frankie pickles um she's terrible in obedience style classes like really awful her food drive is crap 
she'll eat like a little piece of hot dog and be done with it. <laughs> she, it's not her jam. So if I, and I did have my husband bringing her to the classes um, and he would leave partway through or sometimes sooner because <laughs> she just wasn't into it. So we pivoted and I sent her to, well, him with her to Christina's class. And I'm going to let you explain what this class is because it's super cool. And it's changed her significantly in her confidence level. <laughs> I teach nose work, but I teach it maybe a little differently than other people might. I work on my nose work classes are built to train confidence and independence. All the other skills come after the dog confidently knows how to search for food in an environment and independently. So with Frankie Pickles, when she came in, um, she was just worried about the environment. So that's okay. We don't train nose work yet. We work on can she, well, first let her acclimate, let her feel safe. And then as soon as she feels safe and starts going, okay, I got this place. Then we start adding food. Can you eat? Can you chase food? Can you be um, restrained and then chase food? And we just build it up. And now she's on, she started on containers and uh, she's doing fantastic. And we're going to start the next time she comes back, we're going to start building an indication. So yeah. it all builds on that independence and confidence, um, independently being able to do a job, not independently, like just being able to go <laughs> and leave us. <laughs> That's well, what she's I mean. good at already. <laughs> she's already very good at that. So we want her independently to be able to do a job which is in, at her stage, go find food that we, we when we cue her to go find food. Um, and we put in climbing over obstacles and problem solving. So she has to learn how to find her way around obstacles. And it's really fun. I love, I love teaching these classes. Yeah. And it changed the handler in this case, my husband's entire relationship with the dog in a training environment. Because oh. he went from super frustrated to actually really proud of her. And then we started training her to do tracking, which I originally wasn't going to do because her focus is so poor on the handler. However, she's picked up tracking oh, good. really fast. And I've had to train it without food, which I don't do very often. That's usually the Malinois shepherds that don't want food mm -hmm. when they're tracking because they're in work mode. And I'm training her just like she was one of them. Good. And she is a little rocket. Like she's figured it out. So it's, again, I'm trying to put the dog in a scenario where her strengths are going to be at play and her natural instincts are going to work because a dachshund focusing for an hour or 45 minutes on obedience mm -hmm. as a teenager is just <laughs> not going to happen. And I knew that. So I'm not frustrated by it at all. When we got her, I knew this was going to be our journey, but we see clients and other people all the time who have these cool breeds and they're just trying to put them in the wrong box to start. And it yeah. doesn't mean she won't do it eventually. It just means she's not going to do it first or second or third, maybe even fourth or fifth. We will yeah. get there one day. Yeah, I um, I see that a lot. If you have a breed that you haven't had before or maybe that you're working with a trainer they're not familiar with that breed, it's really important to be careful that we're not stuffing that breed into the box of another breed. Like the way I might handle a sensitive little border collie like Jubilee versus if I had a big bruiser German Shepherd, there's going to be very different training choices. 
-hmm. and it's all positive and it's all you know with end goal down the road but we might we're going to have very different paths getting there yeah and we see that even in like pretty closely <laughs> identifiable breeds like when we compare our border collies to the aussies there is <laughs> a huge difference and like on paper you wouldn't think there would be yeah they're they very different. faster they work stock different they think differently everything about these two breeds is actually really different from a handler and training perspective <laughs> wouldn't think so from the outside looking in you really yeah. wouldn't I like we talked to uh, Amanda I think last set and she mentioned having border collies and Aussies in the same house and mm -hmm. how the Aussies are body slammers and really body oh, players Megan. oh Megan sorry yeah. Man, Megan yes not Amanda <laughs> and uh and the border collies know about space like my border collies are just unhappy if someone tries to wrestle with them without yep. you know buying them dinner first and it's a whole process and then they'll wrestle <laughs> but they're very different than the Aussies yeah so even if you've just switched breeds within like a similar group so I've had multiple terriers too and I can tell you my Irish terrier was a heck of a lot different than all the miniature snows <laughs> they're not the same dogs so taking into account that plus within the breed, the range of temperaments and personalities and preferences and socialization is huge. So you really mm -hmm. have to look at the dog in front of you and make adjustments. And I find sometimes either breeders or your trainer or your friends might put pressure on you to achieve X, Y, Z by a certain point. And as our handler for our dog, we really have to try our best to shut that out. Mm -hmm. and just do what's best for our dogs advocating for your dog is very hard and knowing when to advocate for your dog especially if you're paying someone and they're the professional mm -hmm. you still know your dog best and if something makes you feel icky it's always okay to say wait no i need to think about this or i need to talk about this or just know for now and being comfortable doing that is a skill that doesn't come easy to a lot of people no it doesn't it's really hard and sometimes your trainer might be recommending something to you that's great for the majority of dogs or even for your dog, but you're not comfortable there. It's okay to still go, I need to process this and think about it. Mm -hmm. When I make new training decisions for my dogs, I think about them for months before I do them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably the most annoying student ever. I take classes with Christina and she and I have a lot of discussions when she's introducing something to me. And it's not because I think she's wrong. It's because I have to take it in and understand it in my own head before mm -hmm. I can run with it. For the record, I think you're an excellent student. I've even told people that. <laughs> I'm surprised by this because I wouldn't want to teach me. I'm just saying. <laughs> You've been lovely in this class. <laughs> and those work. Okay. The, um, the, uh, if anyone follows the Drinking From The Toilet podcast, episode 169, I don't ever know episodes of podcasts, but I know this one because it is excellent for learning and discussing how to advocate for your dog. It is a oh, really that's a cool resource then. Yeah, I've sent that to a lot of clients. It's an excellent podcast. 169 Drinking from the Toilet, Hannah Brannigan. Mm -hmm. um, really nice podcast about how to advocate and learning that part and the societal pressures that are on us to go with the flow or not say no or setting boundaries. It's really hard. It's a lot to it. Yeah. And I think the thing is too, is you're training your dog for your life. 
Mm -hmm. So just because a class or a trainer, I'm going to use this example, say you are in a class and the trainer goes, your dog shouldn't pull on leash, for example. Okay. And the majority of people don't want their dogs to pull on leash, but some people don't care. Yeah. And that's okay. If your dog's in safe equipment and they want to pull and you would rather walk them on a long line or something else, or just walk them off leash most of the time, and you're making that choice for your dog in your life, it's okay. Like you don't yeah. have to train all the things. You don't. No, 100%. That's one that I always ask my clients. They come to me for reactivity usually or some sort of aggression issue. And we're out. I was like, how important is loose leash walking to you? Because how important it is to me and it doesn't, isn't relevant to their life. And mm -hmm. it's not really relevant to the training outside of a couple of scenarios. Yeah. And um, I find that a lot of times we put all this pressure, especially I see it a lot with the adolescent dogs. People come to me with their 10 month old, their 14 month old dog. And they're like, but he doesn't heal. I'm like, well, he's a teenager. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> humans don't listen either. <laughs> but, <don't> listen. <laughs> and you know, we have to be look at our dog's developmental phase too, not just the breed and what they were able to do at five months. Mm -hmm. Their developmental stage really affects what we what choices we make and the goals we set for that dog in front of us. Yeah. And sometimes if you just train, like we'll use loose leash walking as another example because it's the easiest, but like there's so many ways to train it. And a lot of times I train it off leash now. So when my dogs are learning to heal off leash, there's not this leash pressure and restraint issue happening. Mm -hmm. And it changes whether the dog wants to do it or not. Yeah. Right. And you can think outside the box. So maybe you don't want to be off leash in a public space because it's not safe, but using a long line to work on your healing, right? Like you can take this pressure away. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And you can choose to use more equipment in harder scenarios that your dog's not ready for. Like my young border collies, I'm, I'm almost always off leash. I have a big property. I hike. They don't spend a lot of time on a short leash until they're older. And so if I take my young dog to a really hard environment, I might use something like head halter or a front clip harness, whereas I don't normally train in that equipment, but I'll use something that gives me more leverage if I'm going to put the dog in a situation they're not trained for. Yeah. And it, it can be a game changer, mm -hmm. honestly, in certain scenarios. And I recently did put a head halter on Fable, as Christina suggested. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of reasons for this, but the main one was I have a shoulder injury. So it actually mm -hmm. makes my life a lot easier. But when I finish playing disc, I have to walk down a narrow pathway to get back to my house. And without fail, while my dog's in arousal from playing disc, I'm going to run into a person with a dog at that exact moment. And there's not a lot of room for exiting quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I've done it. But with the head halter, it actually has acted as a, a little bit of a calming agent. I don't get the blow up. I get on the body harness. Mm -hmm. So it, it's been great just for moving her like two minutes down a pathway between the field and my house. And yeah. there's, there's lots of scenarios where that is, you know, really helpful. <laughs> And it's, yeah. it's not my end goal, but it, it's a, let's do this right now. I'm not against tools that add leverage if needed and if used thoughtfully, like head halters, front clip harnesses. I don't like to use tools that work by hurting the dog. So that's mm -hmm. my line in the sand. And you need to look at yourself and make your own choices. And we're all individuals and we shouldn't be 
saying these are my values, therefore they need to be yours or you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm okay with using tools that apply leverage, just not ones that work by causing pain. Yeah. And we have to evaluate each tool separately on each dog. Mm-hmm. I've had dogs that find harnesses so adversive that they will like have their back lowered in a U and they're crawling on the ground and it's been a consistent issue with them throughout their life. Yeah. And you know, those are dogs I wouldn't put a body harness on, which is typically a fairly humane tool. So it's, you have to adapt based on your dog. And we have to think about what the tool is doing to the dog, because the last thing I would want to do, if I'm running into a dog with my dog who's in high arousal, is to create a pain response or a fear response. Yeah. Because it's going to slow down my ultimate training goal. And Mm -hmm. In the case of choosing the head halter on this particular dog, she doesn't find it adversive actually at all. Um, So for her, it's not a big deal. I also am fairly skilled at not jerking my dogs. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, guys, it's easier for me because I have never trained um, with correction collars. So I don't have that muscle memory or instinct. I'm also used it a lot like with a lot of different dogs so it just doesn't go there but one of the things i've had clients do too if they're considering adding more tools for certain scenarios is you could actually use a head halter and a body harness on two different lengths of leashes Mm -hmm. and if your body harness leash is slightly shorter you're not going to jerk your dog's head or neck in a way which is the primary criticism against head halters typically yeah so it's sometimes you have to think outside the box and look at your dog and your scenario and your own capabilities and just kind of make a judgment call. But we definitely want any tool we choose to use to be, you know, beneficial and not necessarily suppressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when we work with any dogs with any kind of fear issues, if we start suppressing, we can get into that state where we think the dog's okay, but then they have the blow ups when they just can't hold it in anymore. And we see that a lot when dogs have been, um, people come and they'll say, oh, my dog just exploded out of nowhere. He'll be totally fine. And then he's not. It's usually because the behaviors, the fear has been suppressed. Maybe not usually, but often. Um, And you can suppress reactions just with your voice too. It doesn't have to be equipment on your dog. Mm -hmm. We just need to be very careful if we have a fearful dog, particularly that we're not, suppressing those reactions or if we do we know we're doing it strategically in that moment for a management thing but that that shouldn't be our training plan or happening all the time or we're going to get big problems that um, pop up as the dog progresses and sometimes more freedom can actually impact the behavior becoming positive faster Mm -hmm. so one of the cool things we saw at herding yesterday because it was the dog's first time when and i'll just use fable as the example here fable saw the sheep she got really revved up. She was super barky. She was pulling. She was lunging. It looked like a full reactive dog. However, the herding instructor has done this a lot. And she said to me, we're just going to take her off leash. <laughs> <laughs> and I know for a lot of people that would have been scary, but I actually, I had a good idea what to expect because I've done herding with every single Aussie I've ever had. So I take her off her leash and she charges them barking and she doesn't get that close. <laughs> and once she realizes she's off leash, she simmered right down. And yeah. she started looking at them and being more thoughtful. And you can see the entire change in the dog really quickly, like under a minute. She's just a different dog. And it's because we've taken away that restraint in that scenario. 
and this is a case of I can't do that off like when I'm walking my dog down a pathway. <laughs> I can't practice that, but I can take her into a different scenario, like a herding lesson where it would be safe, where she can actually practice having that release from frustration, mm -hmm. which may not every dog, but may actually generalize into her frustration feelings in other scenarios. So the enrichment activities can be a big help. <laughs> I think too, part along, along that. Can you hear Enzo digging? No, I can't okay, hear good. Enzo digging. <laughs> He's digging in his bed. <laughs> um, the, one of the things that I, <laughs> just give me a second. Like Border collies, they always oh, have to do something. <laughs> uh, he hasn't had a lot today. So when Enzo hasn't had a lot of stimulation in the mornings, he digs obsessively. It's almost like he's humping, but he's not. He's just digging with two feet, trying to get that some sort of stimulation, I think, before he lays down. And um, yeah. Tell everyone what time it is right now, Chris. 9.51. Yes. Her dog hasn't had enough stimulation yet today. Well, normally we get up and go do stuff in the mornings. Like I get up, I have my tea, he settles while I relax, and then we go do something. Um, but he, he and oh, he has such high needs, even compared to my four-year-old border collie, who's closely, really, very closely related to him. Mm -hmm. His needs are through the roof compared to her, likely because of how I raised him, um, partly because of who he is, <laughs> and also but, who you are, <laughs> and who I am. But and I didn't want that necessarily for my next dog, so I taught her how to <laughs> chill a lot more. But that was a learning experience for me. Um, so what I was going to say is along the lines of your herding story, one of the common things I tell people for reactive dogs is put them on a long line. We walk them on a longer leash. When we walk a dog who's got energy to burn and stim seeking stimulation perhaps, or just on edge looking for something to be worried about, um, when we keep them on a five foot leash or six foot leash, they can't physically move their bodies well. They can't smell well, they can't trot, they can't, they just can't release that energy in a normal, healthy way. Like go sniff that and trot over there and go sniff this and pee on this and maybe roll in that or lick that post. Um, when we put them on a long line, giving them more freedom to just be a dog, the reactivity is often much easier to deal with rather than keeping them in heel on a short leash and building that tension with every step of the way, they're just building and building just adding a long line just lowers the arousal for many, many dogs. Hugely. And in a scenario where you get surprised with your dog on a long line, because I've had this happen, having a verbal U-turn or emergency mm -hmm. recall, you just put that into play and then you get yourself out of the scenario. Your dog's still on leash. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty safe and you're less likely to have that giant blow up. Mm -hmm. And I, I I do like really long, long lines for certain things, but for walking, you can even get away with a 10 or 12 foot, depending on the size of your dog. Doesn't have to be 30 feet to go out in, in your neighborhood. Um, 30 yeah. feet is great for the woods if you can, don't have a recall yet, but just 10 or 12 feet is great. Yeah. And sometimes if you have a really little dog, because I've had a bunch, having a long line is actually super useful because they lose so much leash just in vertical distance. Yeah that if I have a six foot leash on Frankie Pickles, it doesn't give her very much space to play, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, she essentially has to be in an obedience ring heel with that length of leash, just with how short she is. So I've always walked her on a 12 foot lead. 
it's just the way it's gone for her. And it she ends up walking a similar distance to my Aussies do on the six foot. Yeah. I think the smaller the dog or the taller you are, the the longer your leash should be. I I rarely put my dogs on a five or six foot leash except for vet visits mm-hmm. or, you know, very specific spaces like that. Uh, just because you have your dog on a 12 foot leash, it doesn't mean you have to hold it at the end either, <laughs> <laughs> right? So if you have your dog on a 12 foot leash and you're going to go through a narrow space, you can ask them to heal. You can do all your training, healing games, and you can hold that leash at five feet for mm-hmm. that space. It doesn't have to mean they're everywhere. Uh, they're always long. Yeah. The other piece that I find dogs aren't given enough freedom is at home when people go to work. Um, I I do use crates. I think for my dogs, it's important that they're comfortable in crates because I travel and because I do competitions and being crated is a part of a sport dog's life. Um, And in a multi-dog home, I think it's an important skill to have in case someone gets sick or in case there's a conflict to be able to comfortably crate our dogs is important. Um, But I'm really not a fan of excessive crating. So if there's a reason our dog can't be loose, that's great. But we can use X-pens, X-pens with lids. We can use a bedroom. We can contain a dog without giving them free run of the house in ways that allow them to get up and move. Yep. You can even install a full-size dog run. Mm -hmm. They're great. They're super secure and safe. And if you have a dog that's going to have this going on for a while, it can be used slow. (laughs) (laughs) So what would you consider excess crating? It depends on the dog. But I, I feel uncomfortable when a dog is crated the entire time someone's at work, even if they have a potty break. So I'm uncomfortable with a dog being created, say four hours and then an hour out and then four hours again. That makes me feel icky. Yeah. And it's breed specific and crate size specific and all of these mm-hmm. things to you guys. Like if you have a Chihuahua puppy in a kennel that's big enough for a golden retriever, it's not the same. No, that's excess. That's essentially an X-Pen. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same as a golden retriever in a golden retriever size crate right? And if we do too much containment, we'll see frustration in our dogs, but we also see physical deficiencies. Mm-hmm. They're not using their body the same way. I want the dogs to be able to get up and change sleeping spaces. So not just be able to stand up and turn around and, and lie down again, but to walk. I like them to t- be able to take at least a few strides to go to a water dish, mm-hmm. you know, to choose to pick up a bone or chew or whatever you're leaving your dog with and to go to a couple of options for resting spaces. That That's ideal in my, my mind. And what that looks like for a Chihuahua versus a Great Dane puppy is, is quite different. But if, if your dog isn't destructive, if your dog hasn't shown you that they're gonna eat your couch, I mean, I like my dogs to be loose. My dogs aren't created when I'm gone. No, mine aren't either anymore. And interesting, it was actually separation anxiety that mm. triggered that change. If I created Story and Navy for more than three hours, and I have them on video, because <laughs> I'm <laughs> a little obsessed with my dogs, um, I would see howling and barking. Mm. And as soon as I switch them to just being loose in the house, I can leave my house for eight, nine hours, and they're fine. There's mm. no howling or barking. And now my dogs also have a dog door, and they can go outside to go to the bathroom and everything too so they have a lot of freedom and I started my puppies since them with that freedom from day one 
and it's gone well. And I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it for everybody, every puppy. But I have left Fable and Frankie Pickles loose in my house from the get-go, unsupervised, without issue. And again, I wouldn't recommend this for every dog, every situation. Dog runs are great too. It has worked for my dogs. And we practice our crating with meals, travel, um, camping, that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. it, it's not part of their daily lives outside of having their mealtime break. I do like for when multi-dog homes, or if you have a lot of kids and a puppy, mm -hmm. I like using a crate for nap times to help that dog. Because a lot of dogs don't get enough rest, a lot of puppies, if they're in a very stimulating environment. So I'm a big fan of like an hour out, an hour in, an hour out, an hour in mm -hmm. kind of things for puppies, teaching them how to relax. But that's different than leaving them for hours a day at home alone in a small area. The the other two, there's two other times when I, I don't like crating is when we train by habit, by deprivation, basically. So mm -hmm. old school, it's not done very much anymore, but it is still done. It's, at least it's not done in my circles. Maybe I just hang out with different people. It still happens. <laughs> <laughs> but saying my dog doesn't want to play this sport or my dog doesn't want to come when call or my dog doesn't want to play with toys. Therefore, my dog's going to live in a crate and come out and I'm going to offer that activity. And if they don't want to play, they go back in the crate. And they only come out to do the activity that's important to me. I really, really have a... Um, that makes my heart hurt for the dogs when, when those types of training crates are used for that kind of training. Yeah. And sometimes we see some really difficult behavior issues result from that. Mm -hmm. but just because it achieves the goal you set out doesn't mean it's good for the long-term mental health of your dog. Yeah. And that's where sometimes people get confused because they're like, well, I did this and it worked and now the dog can do X, Y, Z. But we need to look at big picture long-term and is that dog actually a stable, healthy individual? Yeah. Was this the right choice? Because it, it's a pretty extreme form of training that passed as regular for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I've been given that advice on several of my soft dogs throughout their life. And to be honest, I didn't ever do it. it didn't sit with me. Um, we just took things slow and steady and they turned out to be really great dogs, both as pets and sport dogs. Like we've earned titles, they've done well. So you don't have to do these things just because someone tells you it's a good idea. If you put your dog's well-being ahead of the sport, and if we have fair expectations, the sport stuff will come. Mm -hmm. But if we put the goals to get those scores in the sport ahead of the dog's well-being, then we'll often see reactivity or separation anxiety or destructive behaviors, you know, and um, that's so important to realize, especially when you have a young dog or a novice dog or a novice handler, the sports stuff will come to make the well-being stuff first. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a race to get XYZ titles by two. No. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I've had dogs that can do it because they naturally can do it. I've had dogs that can't do it because they naturally can't do it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean the other dogs don't catch up. They do. Well, look at Jubilee and Enzo. I mean, mm -hmm. Enzo had everything. He could do everything by the time he was two. And that's likely partly, I wouldn't make those training choices now. I didn't use deprivation. He was just always keen to work. And um, we don't didn't do a lot of relaxation. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> but at two, Enzo was doing big shows. He was performing in front of 20,000 people live under lights at two. He had his CGN, he could do obedience, he could do rally, he could do everything at two. 
Jubilee is now four. She's better than Enzo at everything. Absolutely. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> everything. She exceeds his abilities. And she's four and she doesn't have any rally titles yet. Yeah. But she will and she'll get better scores. So taking it slower with her created a much more high performing dog. Yeah. In the long run. And that's yeah. really what we want from a sport perspective, mm -hmm. but also as a pet owner, because mm -hmm. we should be both. They're not sporting equipment. No. And if I... they are, please choose a different sport. <laughs> yeah. Hockey. Don't play hockey. <laughs> Don't play soccer. Don't do an animal sport if your animal is only sporting equipment. Their well-being yeah. and needs should come well beyond anything else. Yeah. The first goal should be having an animal you enjoy living with. Mm -hmm. And then the sports come later. Yeah. And, and choose change. the sport your dog likes. <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying to make all the dogs do the one sport you like. Yeah. Try other things with your dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Honestly. You might find new loves too. Like if I hadn't tried other sports, I wouldn't have found disc and I'm crazy about it. But I can tell you this much. Frankie Pickles is not going to be a champion. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do sports she likes. I'm, I'm the same with nose work. I mm -hmm. didn't want to do nose work. I really thought it was a stupid, boring sport meant for old people with old dogs who were just unable to do anything fun anymore. So they did <laughs> nose work. That was my honest to goodness. That was what I thought nose work was. I freaking love it. Yeah. I love it. And my dogs love it. Enzo would pick nose work over disc. Yeah. Yeah. And just because you buy a breed of dog for the sport you love doesn't mean that dog is going to love that sport either. Mm -hmm. Like my Aussies are super different and they all have their own sport preferences. And it's just the way it is. So that's why we have to do more things. Yeah. Do it's all for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's our, I think what we wanted to chat about today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually have to go to a training session soon. Um, Chris, did you have any last minute things to add in? No, thank you for letting me ramble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I hope we gave you some food for thought on um, things to do with your dog and how to explore other things and kind of use their instincts for fun. <laughs> that was our, our goal today. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you'd like more information, don't forget to check out our website, our Facebook group, our page, and our blog posts.